This is the Immortal Souls Podcast. Welcome. Johnny, get your gun, get your gun, get your gun. Take it on the run, on the run, on the run. Hear them calling you and me. Every son of liberty. Hurry right away, no delay, go today. Make your daddy glad to have had such a lad. Tell your sweetheart not to pine, to be proud her boy's in line. Over there, over there. World War I, one of the deadliest conflicts in history, with an estimated 40 million military and civilian casualties. During 1914 to 1918, this was a war fought, at least on the Western Front of Northern France and Belgium, largely in the trenches. These trenches were long, deep ditches that would stretch for miles, with a battle-scarred wasteland known as a no-man's land in between the opposing sides. Down in the trenches, millions of soldiers on both sides of the conflict would take shelter against enemy attacks, machine gun volleys, and air artillery strikes. Life in the trenches was bleak at best and hellish in many cases. Here, soldiers had to deal with cramped spaces, lack of proper food, clothing, or sanitation, Diseases such as typhoid fever, dysentery, and cholera, rats, fleas, and other vermin. Especially in the trenches in France, due to the high water table, trenches were constantly muddy and wet, if not even flooded. One can only imagine the filth and the sludge and sewage permeating these cold, murky trench waters. As one soldier, Captain Alexander Stewart, recalled, this part of the line was the worst. I refer particularly to the mud and water. All the land had been very churned up by shell explosions, and for many days the weather had been wet. It was not possible to dig for more than about a foot without coming to water. Mud is a bad description. The soil was more like a thick slime. When walking, one sank several inches in and, owing to the suction, it was difficult to withdraw the feet. The consequence was that men who were standing still or sitting down got embedded in the slime and were unable to extricate themselves. As the trenches were so shallow, they had to stay where they were all day. Most of the night was spent digging men out of the mud. He who had a corpse to stand or sit on was lucky. Soldiers would spend days or weeks in the trenches, shivering with soaked boots and no relief for their raw, waterlogged feet. In fact, this constant exposure of the feet to the cold and filthy dampness caused, for many soldiers, trench foot. A condition brought on by wet feet not being properly dried, where dead tissue spreads across one or both feet, sometimes requiring amputation. Or in other words, the skin on the feet would often turn red and blotchy, swell, tingle, form blisters, get numb, 
and in the worst cases, eventually start to rot and fall off, causing infections that called for, in many cases, amputation if a soldier wanted any chance of not dying from the infection. Trenchfoot started to appear in the winter of 1914. And according to an article from the U.S. National Center for Biotechnology Information, on just the Allied side alone, an estimated 2,000 American troops and 75,000 British soldiers died from Trenchfoot. Sergeant Harry Roberts of the British Army recalled, quote, If you have never had trench foot described to you, I will explain. Your feet swell to two to three times their normal size and go completely dead. You can stick a bayonet into them and not feel a thing. If you are lucky enough not to lose your feet and the swelling starts to go down, it is then that the most indescribable agony begins. I have heard men cry and scream with pain, and many have had to have their feet and legs amputated. I was one of the lucky ones, but one more day in that trench, and it may have been too late. Trench foot, by and large, resulted from the boots worn by soldiers in the war. At the start of the war, soldiers wore russet marching shoes, a clean-looking boot made of machine-sewn calfskin and a single sole, and lined with duck feathers. This boot, while quite nice-looking and easy to polish, did not hold up well to the conditions of war, and were by no means waterproof. Especially for soldiers in the muddy trenches, the russet marching shoes caused more foot problems and ailments than anything else and a change in military-issue footwear was sorely needed. In 1917, early models of a new type of boot known as the trench boot started making their way on soldiers' feet. These boots were certainly an improvement over the russet marching shoes using thicker leather, thicker soles with five rows of rounded hobnails, and even an iron plate in the heel, allowing the boots to hold up better to the rough conditions. But these boots were still not waterproof, and soldiers continued to suffer from conditions of trench foot and other maladies of the feet. A year later, in 1918, General John Pershing of the U.S. Army approved a number of improvements to the trench boot. This new boot, known as the 1918 trench boot, or the Pershing boot, differed from the earlier trench boot in that it had even thicker leather, a triple-thick sole, iron toe cleats, and finally some much-needed waterproofing. The downside to these boots was that they were quite heavy and burdensome. In fact, they were so heavy that soldiers nicknamed them Little Tanks. But hey, the weight and clumsiness of the boot was a small price to pay if it meant a soldier could avoid getting the dreaded trench foot. Along with the new boots, American soldiers were ordered to rub their own feet down with whale oil and to check their partner's feet each day for any problems or signs of trench foot. And then, on November 11th, 1918, the armistice was signed, signaling the end of the Great World War. At this point, there was no more need for trench boots. In fact, production soon halted, and they seemed to have just suddenly vanished. The story of the trench boot came to a swift end. Or did it? 
After World War I, manufacturers of the trench boot started pumping out modified versions of the boot that catered more to comfort and style. The hobnails were removed, along with the heel plates and extra soles. Out of these efforts came what is known as service shoes. Now, service shoes looked very similar to trench boots, but they were lighter, and they had polished leather uppers, leather outsoles, and toe caps. There was also a version of service shoes called garrison shoes that were lined with fabric and sported a rubber heel. Well, fast forward to the Second World War. At the beginning of World War II, while the U.S. Army was conducting field tests, it became quickly apparent that service shoes were not holding up well to the rigors of battle. They were just too flimsy, and within just a couple of weeks, the leather soles would be worn right through. In September 1941, the U.S. Army introduced the Type 2 service shoe. Unlike the first version of the service shoe, the Type 2 model featured a rubber tap attached to a leather outsole, which doubled the life of the shoe and made it much more durable. This model was perfected even further when in June of 1943, the Type 3 service shoe was released. The Type 3 model had no toe cap, it had a Goodyear welted sole, reinforcing rivets, and the leather on the shoe was reversed, which meant that the rough side was out. Not only did this make it so soldiers did not have to polish their boots, but they could more effectively waterproof them with various oils and greases. The Type 3 service shoe carried U.S. troops through the end of the war and beyond, when they were continued to be used as garrison shoes. Around the same time the Type 3 service shoe came out, the M1943 combat boot was introduced in November of 1943. Similar to the Type 3 service shoe, the combat boot featured reverse leather that was able to be waterproofed, a one-piece molded rubber sole, and a high-top double buckle cuff. These boots didn't see significant action until 1945 when the war was nearly over. But later versions of the combat boot became extremely popular during the Korean War due to their sturdiness and agility. In 1954, the U.S. military officially adopted a version of the combat boot, known as the Black Leather Combat Boot, to go with its new Army Green uniforms. Versions of the Black Combat Boot would be used for decades thereafter until the early 2000s. Another boot developed during the World War II era, but wasn't widely used until the Vietnam War, is the Jungle Boot. Jungle boots featured a canvas duck top, corrugated rubber soles, and an attached tongue. These boots were lightweight and quick-drying, perfect for the wet and tropical climates in the Pacific Theater. Jungle boots were updated during the Vietnam War, where they were given a combination leather and nylon webbing upper with a self-cleaning, cleated sole. They were also outfitted with nylon ankle reinforcements and a thin metal sheet in the sole to protect the feet from sharp sticks and rocks, and especially punji sticks, which were camouflaged booby traps made of sharp pieces of bamboo, which were even sometimes poisoned. These boots made their way onto soldiers' feet in 1962 and were heavily used throughout the rest of the Vietnam War. Versions of the jungle boot would be used for decades after the Vietnam War due to their lightweight, breathable, and sturdy features. When the Persian Gulf War broke out in 1990, 
The U.S. military used both the combat boot and the jungle boot to outfit its soldiers in the dry, dusty deserts of the Middle Eastern region. The problem, though, was that combat boots were too bulky and hot, and while jungle boots generally outperformed combat boots because they were lighter and more agile, they also allowed sand to get trapped inside of the boot. Also, jungle boots did not keep feet properly warm during the cold nights or seasons. So the military went back to the drawing board. It eventually produced an updated version of the jungle boot known as the desert boot, which ultimately became known as the tan combat boot. This new desert boot removed vent eyelets and the steel plate in the soles, allowing for the shoes to keep sand out while maintaining a consistent temperature inside the boot. They were also colored tan, which blended in much better with the desert environment. These boots were so popular and successful that the military adopted the tan combat boot as its standard issue boot to this day. As previously stated, today's standard issue tan combat boot incorporates elements of earlier combat boots and jungle boots. They are breathable, water resistant, they have cushioned midsoles, and they also have non-marking, flame-resistant rubber outsoles. The boots match the current digital camo uniforms. Well-known shoe companies such as Nike, Reebok, Solomon, and even Oakley produce combat boots that are compliant with the current Army regulation AR670-1, which sets forth and standardizes Army uniform requirements. And even the world of fashion has called dibs on tan combat boots, with the likes of Kanye West and Fear of God putting their spin on the boots, as well as Prada, Fendi, and Christian Louboutin, just to name a few. Now, we just need Adidas to come out with an AR670-1 compliant version of the Yeezy Boost 750s, and our troops will be on point with their shoe game, rocking some serious heat on their feet. Although the history of military footwear extends way before World War I, and the soldiers who suffered trench foot in the cold, wet trenches of Europe, it can be argued that the birth of modern military boots began with the trench boot and the need to develop footwear properly adapted to modern wartime terrain and conditions. We salute the brave men and women throughout history who have worn military boots of all types in furthering the cause of liberty, freedom, peace, and a better world for us all. To all military service members, both past and present, we thank you for your service. Thank you for checking out this episode of the Immortal Souls podcast. For show notes, more information, pictures, or just to say hi, check us out at our website, immortalsoulspodcast.com, Instagram, or Facebook. Five-star reviews are hugely appreciated and super helpful. Until next time, keep walking the roads less traveled. I was 18, 18 and a half. I should never forget it as long as I live. The officer was going down the trench. Anybody who didn't go in was shot on sight for cowardice. We went over and we crawled. If you stood up, you were dead. And I came across a Cornishman He was ripped from his shoulder to his stomach 
with shrapnel. His inside was out on the ground in a pool of blood. He said, shoot me. Before we could draw a revolver to shoot him, he was beyond all human aid. He died. In 30 seconds he died and he just said one word, mother. And that haunted me all my life. Were you ever afraid of those days in the army, <coughs> especially during the fighting? Definitely you're, you get afraid. Any soldier or anyone that said who were in a war and weren't afraid, I don't think they're quite mentally correct. But uh, you, you must have had frightening times when you were in the trenches. Oh, you telling me. <laughs>